Welcome to Beer Net Radio. Listen to on every continent except Antarctica. B double E Beer. Beer Net Radio. I'm good. How's the knee? It's better now. I had a shot quarter zone. And uh it'll it'll be better in a couple hours. It sucks. I'm not even drinking. It's I like know, how I do I get say. gout? I did get back from Louisiana and New Orleans. So oh. and and Florida. Couple, couple crawl daddies. <laughs> I mean, there were oysters, there were crawfish, there was fried fish, fried shrimp, uh gumbo. I mean, it's a it's amazing <laughs> it took this long, honestly. Uh I gotta ask you a question. What is the easiest way to have a good year in beer sales? Uh, distribution expansion. That is correct. But what I was going for was the best way to have a good year this year Just is to have a have shitty a bad year. year, last year. <laughs> That's right. And when we look at Molson Coors, you know, in today's issue, how great they're doing, uh, you know, one of our readers pointed out, yeah, it's because they didn't have any product last year. <laughs> and he shared his sales numbers. And like last year's Ice House sales for July, eight cases. This year, 3,000. You know, so I mean. Um, there are some goose eggs next to yeah, some of them too. Right. It's just zero. So obviously, you know, just, just having beer to sell <laughs> apparently is a great way to increase sales. Um, that's good news for them. I mean, uh, ha- having no supply for those brands last summer, it's good to see that at least they came back. That's what I was about to say is, I mean, at least there's still demand for it because those are brands you would think of if they were, if they were out of stock, people would say, oh, well, I guess they just quit making, <laughs> making right. those, you know? Yeah. And just switch over to, you know, Bush and, light and, or something. And, yeah. Never think about them ever again. Right. <laughs> Habit is a powerful thing, Jordan. And if you're used to just going to the cold box and grabbing that same product every week, and then there's disruption in that, you build new habits, see? And then going back to the old habits can be tough. Habits. Habits, habits, habits. It's a it's why brands exist. You have a habit of going to a brand that you trust. Maintaining habits is the goal here. For a lot of these beer marketers all right you know um uh boy cider's had its up and downs but uh but some people are doing pretty well in cider jordan you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying so That's i've heard that. yeah why don't we talk to the good folks at shilling cider see what they're up to i'll let you uh introduce them when they Sweet. get connected hello hey, gentlemen how's it going good how are you i'm harry shoemaker with welcome to beer net radio these guys are with Schilling Cider, and we've got Jordan on the line, too. And, hey, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks for having us. You bet. We're, we're all about emerging brands here, and uh, uh, you guys have been uh, kicking some ass lately. So uh, we thought we'd, uh, you know, ask you some questions. Yeah, I've kicking ass for a while now. Yeah. Uh, so let me formally introduce you all. Today on the show, we have uh, Schilling Cider founder Colin Schilling and the company's uh, chief commercial officer, Eric Phillips. Um, for those of you who don't know, Schilling has become one of the fastest growing companies 
not just in cider, but in beer, period. They grew 50% last year to 100,000 barrels and are projecting big, big growth again this year. Um, but, you know, beyond the growth, what fascinates me about y'all's company is how y'all are kind of showing how much more cider can be. I mean, that's evident with Excelsior, y'all's Imperial Cider line, uh, which clocks in like at 8% ABV. That's something I don't think anybody had seen or heard before. But also, for instance, Harry, when you think of peak cider selling season, what months or month do you think of? Uh, December. Okay. And how do you think cider performs over warmer spring, summer months? It, uh, cider is meant to be uh, consumed by a hearth and a fire <laughs> And oh, you're talking about cold cider. I think is it seasonal? I don't really know. Well, okay, there we go. Kind of Colin and Eric, walk us through what y'all see over the year because we talked just a while ago, and I was kind of fascinated at the curve of sales. It's not really much of a curve, um, but kind of share us uh, that trajectory. Yeah, you want to take this one, big dog? Go for it, Eric. You're the sales. You're the sales master. <laughs> All right, sounds good, man. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, we, I think we've been pretty fortunate. I, you know, I, I like to think that some of it's hard work and, and perseverance, but I think, you know, you got to catch a couple of breaks here and there. But one of the things that we found is that we, you know, just saw the article you all had about uh, athletic and, and the amount of fall placements. And, you know, we've been really um, fortunate, like I said, to have not had the same cyclical performance that a lot of people have where you kind of, you know, okay, it's slow at the beginning of the year and then you peak in the summer and then it definitely drops off like a bell curve, right? It's been really fun to watch over the last five years of, you know, that fall reset season, we get a bunch of new PODs and expansion in the set. And then it actually takes us into the summer season where we get spring and then we just keep going. One of the fun things that we've seen is a lot of people, think, okay, well, you know, cider, you know, great, refreshing, very fruit forward, bold, innovative for the summer months. Yeah, we absolutely see it take off in a lot of stacks, but where we really win and it, we, I think, surprise people is that OND category. Because like Harry said, there's that association of, you know, that warmth around the fireplace and that kind of thing with cider, whether it be warm cider or cold cider, we really see uh, an, an increased performance and really acceleration through the end of the year. It's like, uh, I mean, the, the wine and spirits guys, they, they don't even work other than O&D. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, that's when they show up. And the beer guys, it's quite the opposite. So it is kind of nice to have a product that works in both seasons. Because, I, you know, when Jordan asked me that question, I, I immediately assume, you know, cider's refreshing. It's a summer drink. But then I'm thinking of the old country, like, you know, uh, apple cider was such a, uh, you know, it was, it was a winter drink to warm up, warm up your gut, if you will. Totally. You know, and one of the things you bring up a good point, one of the things we're leaning into right now is we are working on a campaign and, and I was talking with Jordan about this uh, a bit ago and we're working on a campaign because there are certain companies that own a drinking season or a drinking month or a, an occasion, right? Well, cider has never identified that in the same way. There's some, been some small campaigns and some hashtags here and there, but one of the things we're really working on, and, and I've talked with some of the, you know, the people that I've gotten to know in the cider industry, uh, this idea of owning October and making that National Cider Month. 
because technically it is National Cider Month. And so how can we as the cider community own that month and watch that acceleration in OND, right? Because like you said, beer, wine, more wine and spirits, to your point, yeah, they just have stacks everywhere. There's no space yeah. for it. But there's, a, there's an occasion in between the summer coming off, you know, you've got your holidays, Memorial Day, Labor Day, and then you go into, you know, uh, your seasonal beers where you have pumpkin and it's a flash in the pan and it comes out in July, right? Okay, right. great. Cider can own a month. Cider can own a drinking occasion because there's already that association with the harvest season. There's already that association with apples in the fall and kind of that, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of that like that emotional connection to Americana in, in, right, that, right. in that time of year. So that's what's exciting for us. And, and the goal long-term is to get everyone on the same page. It's not, hey, we're, Schilling's gonna own Cider Month. No, the cider category is gonna own Cider Month. And we want to tell that across different regions with our other craft partners in the, in the industry. That's interesting because, you know, Guinness owns St. Patrick's Day. The Secchi's owns Cinco de Mayo, but, you know, yeah. uh, Bud Light owns the Super Bowl. And that is nobody owns October, Oktoberfest, I guess. And how those beers are gone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that is, a, and that's every, all the, all the chuggy basic white bitches are, are out there in their, <laughs> in their vest, their puffy vests and their boots going to pumpkin patches. I think it's a great time to push cider. Yeah. Totally. It's I'm so in you. line with, with Schilling's ethos too, of being a collaborative partner in the industry in terms of building something that creates an all boats rise scenario. You know, back in the day, we were the first person to open a cider bar in the US that supported a bunch of other brands, not our own 32 tap handles. And now we have another one in Portland that holds the world record. So we have 50 taps of cider down there and we support everybody else in the neighborhood in the Northwest and beyond. So again, we want to educate consumers because we're very bullish on cider in the long term, And so we don't see those people as competition. We see them as our collaborative partners to help grow the whole industry and raise cider up as it's still, as you guys know, such a small percentage of the overall. Yeah. Right. Okay. Kind of jumping back to the summertime. Um, Eric, when we talked, you were saying that y'all have already had three best months ever already this year. Is uh, July shaping up to, to be another? I think July is going to eke it out right at the end there. Uh, you know, you got to look at the selling days and when the, when the holiday lands, and that's always the tricky part. But I think, you know, I think we'll eke it out. And then I think we're going to have, you know, five consecutive months of best month ever. Uh, I think August is really lining up to be uh, pretty big for us. There's some good programming that's happening that our national accounts team has been working on. And then my goal is to, is to see another best month ever in October. And really own that as we as we tell that story to our you know HT grocery and our retail partners. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think we're gonna eke out a, a third or fourth straight here, um, <laughs> which will be you know it's just always fun and it's like hey it's okay if we don't it's still you know so much better than it was a year ago you know so I have to kind of make sure that the team has perspective. It's like this is amazing. This yeah. isn't the, like, this isn't the norm. It's okay. If we, you know, we're just shy of best month ever. We still performed and hit our goals internally, you know, for sure. And, and Jordan and Harry, you guys know, it's been a tough year for the industry overall. And so we are just trying to do everything we can to be a spotlight for our distributors. Our goal is always to be the best partner we possibly can be for our distributors. And I know we've made them pretty happy at most of our distributors this year in terms of delivering well above, you know, market performance. And we're excited to keep doing that. So like Eric said, if we can extend that kind of traditional summer peak into the fall, 
that's just another way we can deliver additional value for our distributors and be the best partner we can possibly be. Right. I, I know y'all want to give some shout outs to some of your distributor partners. So I think this would be a, a perfect. <laughs> yeah, a perfect always. I mean, for. I got to give it up to Jesse Ferber and Chris Defonsi over at Columbia Distributing. You know, they were, they're still to this day, obviously our biggest home market distributor. And both those guys have done phenomenal things to help grow our brand, really believe in cider, um, not just build our brand, but build the category here in the Northwest to being the most potent and biggest, you know, cider region in the country. Um, and we couldn't have done it without those guys. So really appreciate them. And Eric's been working with our folks, our friends at Reyes and a number of other key distributors too. So I'll throw it over to him to give some shout outs as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, got to give a shout out to our partners in Idaho, Montana, Hayden, um, you know, uh, our partners up in Alaska, RNDC, they just uh, took over uh, that business. And I mean, it's, it's up hundred percent. It's wild. I, you know, we're just like, okay, this is fantastic. People love cider up there. And then as Colin said, Reyes has been, you know, Jessica Muskie, Cornell Barr, Ned Hall, Tim McGettigan have just been, just believe in us, you know, we're like, okay, that's pretty cool just to be believed in by, you know, Reyes. And I know, you know, there's people who love them and there's people who might not, but I'm just thankful to be on their radar, you know, and, and, and well, get that you, support if, from them. If you can get their focus, it is a, it's a machine. Um, so what it, it, so it does sound like, that cider in general is kind of regional, right? Uh, in the Pac Northwest, I mean, is it regional or am I right or wrong there? I think you've got, you know, from my perspective, you've obviously got Angry Orchard, which allowed other people to be in the category, quite frankly, right? And, yeah. you know, we're, we're always, you know, we always tell that to everyone. I think that's an important part of the story. You know, Jim and his team allowed for cider to exist in the way that it does, you know, currently. And, what we see is there's kind of a multi-regional approach uh, that's going on. I think there's the Pacific Northwest. There's some key brands in, in Northern California. And then you kind of move over to the Midwest. And then you've got your East Coast business. Uh, and then, you know, you've got some stuff in like Texas or, or Florida. There's some stuff. But that's kind of, you know, probably five or six regions where you have some strong local players that are multi-state. You know, and, and we're seeing a couple of those players be able to stretch into not only just one region, but maybe two or three and be able to build that, which has been, you know, really, really exciting for us. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the brand uh, behind you there, Eric Excelsior, um, because first off, I think it's pretty cool the way y'all have gone about expanding that line. Um, you've line extended, but it's not just adding a new flavor. Uh, each extension is, is very different. So can you tell me the kind of the, the thinking behind doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want, I want Colin to get in the nerdy part. So, you know, I'll, I'll get in the, the quick stuff, but I'll let him nerd out because that's, that's where he excels for sure. So the, the, the thing about Excelsior is, you know, you look at a lot of brands and try to have brand extensions based off of something that's been successful. The question I think that we had to ask ourselves is why? right? What is the value proposition? What is the excitement level? What is the consumer gaining from another Excelsior, right? And, and we really had to lean into that and think, okay, is it, is it, is someone excited to pay the premium price because we have premium quality, you know, ingredients for just something else? Well, I, I don't think so, right? So I, I, I want to think it's like, what would I want to buy, right? And so the way that we designed it is, everything is different enough that you're actually gaining something, a different drinking experience or, or, 
or opportunity, right? So Excelsior OG is the staple, it's 8.5%. And then we released the second uh, line extension in that one, which is Mango. And that we said, okay, well, if you like 8.5, let's go to 9.1. Let's like really move the needle, right? Like, you know, let's let's make it worth your time, right? To, to make this happen. And we're also looking at, you know, trends and premiumization. People are drinking less, but they're drinking better. Right? they're improving what they're drinking upon and for, especially for us and in, in the people that we consider you know the shilling fans and, and based on our data uh, that we've gathered that's what they're looking for and then the one behind me I'm actually going to kick it over to Colin for this one because I know he, he gets excited this is I'll just say this is our favorite release right. I'll speak I'll speak for you this is our favorite release and we're excited to like introduce this to people so they can be as excited as we are about red glow which is behind me here yeah, so Imperial Red Glow has a couple of cool things. It's actually made with red flesh apples. So if you cut the apple open, it's about three quarters red inside. And that is a tradition in Europe, especially to make cider out of those red apples. They're really hard to get. We bought up about half the crop last year and had it pressed and frozen for us. So we pull it from frozen when we need it. Um, but it's really cool. And then we have some proprietary technology in our manufacturing side. It's actually the highest carbonated cider in a can. So basically to take anything in a can and get it over a certain level, you already need a certain set of equipment. But then because cider also has to be pasteurized, you have another set of equipment you need and all that has to be perfectly fine-tuned to get it up to this level. So the carbonation on this is a, almost twice as much as most of our ciders. So when you crack that can open, if you poured this thing out into a champagne flute, you can't tell the difference in the way that the, the, the bubbles cascade out. It's a beautiful cider. And we're actually extending that technology into a couple of new ciders this year. You know, over at Chilling, we've always, uh, we never take the easy route. We always make it way harder than it should be. But that's what I believe is what really sets us apart long-term. And the other thing with Imperial Ciders is if you just take regular apple juice and you ferment it all the way dry, you get about 7% alcohol. So anytime you see a cider over 7%, you have to ask, well, how did they do that? How do they get that extra fermentable sugar to get up to that level of ABV? In beer, it's relatively obvious, right? You're adding more grain to that boil, which equals more fermentable sugar. But in cider, you can't just go out and find higher juice apples. I mean, there are some, but not in any kind of scale. And so for us, we're actually working directly with farmers in France, and we're bringing over bitter sharp concentrate from France that we add to fresh pressed juice from the Northwest. And so that's how we're taking, you know, something that would ferment out to 7%. We're adding more sugar in the most authentic way possible, which is by bringing over heirloom cider apples from France, where they grow this in volume at a commercial scale, which they don't in the U.S. And that allows us to get up to eight, nine percent alcohol in an authentic way. So if you look at the way it's more traditionally done in the U.S., it's from some other cheaper type of sugar that's not adding an apple character in some way. So we're doing it in a very high end traditional way. And that's what makes the entire Excelsior line so unique and has so much staying power, in my opinion. Well, I mean, Colin. You could just dump some donuts into them. There the it mash, is. You know, that I mean, would probably sell better. I mean, you know, I mean, you're going to trademark that though, right? Going to France and getting these special apples. There's a much easier way. You just dump sugar in there. You're like telling me about it, but that's uh, what everybody yeah. else does. And we, we want right. to make it hard, you know? No, I, yeah. I, I tease, but that's really cool. Um, and, and it is the liquid, does it have a tint to it or is it, uh, is it yes. does it look like regular cider? It's, it's, it's darker for sure. So this juice is much higher in tannin content. You know, you talk about tannins a lot in wine. There's actually a lot of tannins in cider apples specifically. There's a lot less tannins in your traditional eating apple like you'd buy at a grocery store. And so Excelsior, for example, is a very dark cider. 
Um, and it has some kind of very unique characteristics to it that are much more akin to kind of an import, a high quality import cider from France. And that's one of the reasons why we're so bullish on Excelsior long-term because it's a very expensive way of doing it. It's a very difficult way of doing it, especially with current supply chains. And so we continue to lean into Excelsior OG as our number one push because we know it's the best imperial cider on the market in the US. And we believe that because we know how we make it and we know how authentic it is. And we think that you know beverage trends that come and go generally lack authenticity. And I'm not calling anybody out here, but you've seen things come and you've seen them disappear very, very quickly. Cider has a very long history in the US and we believe that if we want to extend that, you need to do it as authentically as possible. And that's exactly what Excelsior OG is and all the line extensions that we've done with Excelsior. So we believe it's a, it's a long-term strategy and we're very much a long-term outlook company in everything that we do. Yeah, it's, it's funny because um, I had a follow-up question where I was going to you know refer back to uh, several years ago with the rosé cider craze and yeah. how pretty much all the big players ran with that in no time. And I was going to ask, you know, why, <laughs> why haven't we seen that with uh, Imperial Ciders? But I think you just uh, explained that pretty well right there. Very hard to do authentically. Like I said, <laughs> with, with Imperial Red Glow, it is technically a rosé cider, but we don't call it that because that brand has been so degraded um, from that trend because yeah. most of those were colored with not red flesh apples. Let's be honest, right? So much yeah. like a rosé wine, well, that's actually... Red food coloring number nine. Yeah. Hey, I didn't exactly. say that. <laughs> I did. I could say whatever I want. Yeah. Um, um, and, and by the way, I know you guys are running up against the end of July, and you're you might be short of your of your greatest month ever goal. When I do that, like with our subscriptions, I just buy them myself. So <laughs> you know, if we're ten short, I'll just buy them. I have like thirty subscriptions to Beer Business Daily. <laughs> nice. Right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do license. it. Yeah. yeah, I have a site license. You give yourself a discount too, though. No, I pay full uh, okay. price. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing uh, I think also that's lost on people is you know when we look at data, cider is classified as as beer. You know, most of the time in sales data, um, but when you uh, think about the TTB, cider is regulated like wine and. Um, I know that makes things a bit difficult. Uh, can you share some of the challenges y'all have kind of gone through over the years and being classified more as wine than, than beer? Yeah, I'll take the crack at that one because I've <laughs> done uh, many, many things in this realm. So cider historically has always fallen in this no man's land, and that goes all the way back to prohibition. Um, and the way it's been classified post-prohibition as well. And so we fall in the strange category of sometimes being wine and sometimes not, and sometimes being other. And so traditionally, once you crossed 7% alcohol, that's when a different set of regulations kicked in. Under 7%, even to this day, cider is still actually primarily regulated by the FDA. So we need nutrition fact panels. We don't need colas. There's a whole bunch of other regulations. But as soon as you cross that point over 7%, then all the wine laws kick in sometimes. There's a caveat there. Uh, and so that's originally why Excelsior was actually in a 375 mil can, which cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in changeover parts to add two mils to the size of the can, uh, because it was a standard to fill. So it followed wine law. We have helped change that law since, which has allowed us to put it in the 12 ounce can. But for example, you cannot buy Excelsior in a 16 or a 19 too. We would of course love to do that, but it is not a federally recognized standard to fill yet. Um, then you get into state law. For the longest time, there were certain states that didn't recognize a cider type product between seven and eight and a half percent. So you literally couldn't sell it in that state. Um, most of those states have been cleared up since. 
Uh, you also fall into tax law. So once you cross over seven or eight and a half or other somewhat arbitrary numbers of ABV in different states, your taxes can go from you know 20 or 30 cents a gallon to two or $3 a gallon. So you have these wild fluctuations in tax. Then there's a carbonation tax. So if you go over a certain level of carbonation with or without fruit, those are two different tax categories. And those have multiples. I mean, I'm talking, you know, in some cases, 20 cents a gallon to 350 a gallon could be the delta in tax. So there are all these Wait, wild I, intricacies. I, I have never heard that before. This uh, You learn something new every day. There is a carbonation tax. There's a carbonation tax that, is, that applies I mean, to cider, and it applies at a different threshold based on if there is fruit or only apple and pear in that <laughs> cider. I mean, so, leave it to the government. I, it, it is a, it is a <laughs> Byzantine labyrinth. And, yes. and, and cider, like you said, it's not even classified in some areas. And yeah, I know right. that it also, it doesn't have franchise laws in most states, I guess, or it's different in most states. Uh, I know so roll Texas, the dice. Yeah. Yeah. You could kind of roll it. I think uh, here in Texas, you can move without even calling your distributor probably, but if you can get a, a contract, that's also okay with that signed with your distributor. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's a different conversation, but you know, going back to those, those taxes, it's, it's interesting for us from an innovation standpoint, right? Because we love to push the boundaries on what we do. And I feel like we've created new categories within the industry, Imperial cider being the most obvious of that, but there's lots of other fruit ciders where we push the boundaries as well. And so not only do we have to say, you know, what ingredients can we source, what tastes great, what are consumers going to want, but then you have these whole other layers built into our innovation around what's legal, what can we afford to pay the tax on, what can we ship over state lines, you know, given the tax in this state. So it does make, uh, not to say that anyone else's job in any other industry is easy either, but I do feel like cider has some unique complexities that make innovation and make R&D especially challenging for cider. Hey, yeah. it's a barrier to entry. Look at it that way. Yeah, <laughs> Keeps all the barbarians out of it. Right. That's a fair point. Yeah, I was going to say, has there ever been an instance where kind of being in this no man's land um, has, made, uh, has made things easier? I would say with Excelsior OG, like I mentioned, we originally put it in that 375 mil can. It's a challenging can to get. It was hard to get the parts to do to have the line run it. It was a big investment. So we were first to market with a six pack of, of any Imperial cider for a long time. Um, and that allowed us to kind of prove the category and obviously put up some pretty big growth numbers with Excelsior leading the way. Um, since that law has changed, you're now seeing a flood of ciders in that space. Um, which, you know, again, all boats rise. We do believe in that mentality, but that's, that's an example of what you're asking about. It, it did allow us to get out front um, and really prove the category, but it was also a, a huge roll of the dice. It was very expensive. No one knew if it was going to work or not. And like I said, we did it the hard way. You know, we made the cider in a super authentic way um, and we did all that out of the gate. So it was a big risk and it's obviously paid off, but you never know if these risks are going to pay off, like buying those 30 extra subscriptions uh to, to hit your numbers <laughs> oh it, it it pays off it pays off yeah uh well it, excuse my ignorance but how, are, are y'all nationwide or how many markets are y'all in so yeah we're in we're in about 20 states and, and we're making sure that the states that we're in we can support well uh it's never really been a a goal of ours to be national because it's going to be prohibitive for our scalability to ship something across the nation and sell it at the price that we need to sell it to make sure that we make the money on it. Um, you know, and we're, we would rather provide, you know, growth opportunities and, and, you know, good solid salaries for the crew that we have here and be in fewer states and be able to go deeper in those states. 
Um, so, you know, we do most of our business in, you know, uh, X number of states, but we are in, you know, very strategic states where we have long-term growth opportunities. I'm so. telling you, know, cider is just as heavy as beer last right. I checked. And I know that beer yeah. is heavy <laughs> and it, 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 it's hard to move. That's, that's true. People being nationwide is not, it's not all that fun. If you only have one facility right. in one area, especially if it's on a coast. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shipping is, has gone up exponentially over the last two years and we're not the only ones feeling that of course, but to your point about a second facility, East coast is a huge cider market, but the problem is, is our particular cider brand is based around fresh press juice at its core. And that fresh press juice is the best and the most, you know, scalable in the Pacific Northwest in Washington specifically. And, you know, even if you ship fresh juice and ferment it elsewhere, you're shipping a tanker truck of juice. Well, you can fit about the equivalent amount of cans in a semi-truck full of cans. So there's really no cost savings to ferment anything elsewhere. If you're a fresh pressed juiced cidery that is purchasing that juice, you know, from a, from a, a commercial operation. So we couldn't right. put a, we couldn't really put a facility on the East coast, even if we wanted to. So we're just waiting for those electric trucks to uh, come online and see those freight prices come down 90%. Like a Rivian or a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they were rolling them down hills. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, that's interesting. So you, know, it, you would have to ship the, the fresh press juice from the West coast to the East coast, can it, and then ship it back to the West coast if you're nationwide. And uh, I could see that. That would be prohibitive. There are apple growing regions, you know, in the Midwest and, you know, in upstate New York that, and there are big cider makers out there that do that, but it's not the same breadth as we have in Washington. Washington is the number one grower of apples in the country. And it, in my opinion, it's the best place to do fresh press based cider. We we're obviously friendly with a lot of other cider companies. And I know an enormous amount of cider companies in States pretty far away. And they do tanker truck juice from Washington state yeah. all the way across. It right. still makes sense. It's still the highest quality. And it's still yeah. the most affordable way to do it. Right. Do y'all ever get sick of apples? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I've always been a consumer of all types of beverage, if I'm being honest about it. And interestingly enough, some of the recent you know, data work we've done have showed that, that, that the cider consumer on average is not a cider only consumer. And you've probably seen that in other beverages as well. But I enjoy craft beer. I, I enjoy cocktails. My favorite spirit is gin. Um, and also cider is amazingly mixable as well. So if you can't decide, you might as well, you know, do a little bit of both. I love cider. It's it it's kind of in the U.S. It's never been that as big as as it it was in Europe. But uh, hey, that doesn't mean it can't be. Well, not and, since the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, right. And you uh, go back long enough, it was the number right. one drink in the country. There's no <laughs> gluten just, in it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Back in the old days, they loved that shit, and then um, something happened whiskey rebellion or something i don't and know and prohibition. prohibition there was actually a law there was a law that you couldn't have apple trees on your property that would produce more than i think 100 gallons of juice per year because everyone that grew apples back then was fermenting it no one actually ate apples pre-prohibition right. it was 100 percent for cider hard cider and right. so they were all cut down that right. was really the problem right and it takes probably a few years to get a, a harvest up exactly whereas you know grain you can grow every year right interesting all right. Sorry. I'm hogging the mic. Jordan, you want to take it home? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, that was a great conversation. We try to keep it at 30 minutes. So I'll give the, uh, the last word to y'all on anything y'all want to ask or give us, got, give us a message of hope. <laughs> well, I, I, I got, I got one. I think, I think it's maybe a message of hope. I was just going to try and kind of coordinate what kind of swim trunks, Harry, we're going to wear to breakers. 
So <laughs> I just want to make sure that I was going to be on point. I have my SpongeBob SquarePants swim trunks <laughs> that I break out every year. Okay. And uh, I just got back from the breakers because I had to do a site check. Sure. Uh, it's a it's like a 200 year old hotel, but you never know. They might make drastic changes, and I need to know that. It's yep. the same, by the way. It's, it's the same. <laughs> I, it took me four days to figure out, but it's the same. And uh, yeah, I, I, we're looking forward to it. Uh, January 8th, let me do a quick plug at the Breakers. And I'm telling you, that Breakers is nice. I don't care what anybody says. It is so nice. Just don't, they, they don't like you to smoke cigars out on the patio. Apparently, it's an old wooden hotel. So I learned my lesson. <laughs> the Breakers? Oh, no, that was the Dell. Was it the yeah? Oh, well, yeah, that one's also wood. <laughs> yeah, they're all. <laughs> yeah, we only have our conferences in ancient wooden hotels. Uh, Perfect. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I would say you know, if if people who are listening and they say you know, well, I I've tried cider and I don't like cider. Ask yourself when the last time you tried cider was and what cider it was. You know, and that's not knocking any brands. I think that there's been a lot of evolution within the cider category especially in the last three to four years. And I think you're going to find that there's a lot of really impressive stuff out there, you know, and if it's sure, try shilling, that's great, but try something that you've never tried before. And I think you're going to be wildly impressed with the quality and the consistency and, you know, the innovation that people have out there. I mean, it's, it's a different category than when we first started, you know? Right. Um, so I think that's, that's the thing that always gets me is, you know, when people come by, they go, well, I kind of like cider. It's like, okay, have you tried it recently? And they go, well, no. It's like, okay, well, this is free booze. Like, try it. We're doing well, it. I, I had a woodchuck back in 96. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's my point. So I, th I think that's the fun thing for us is there's just so much, so much continued opportunity because there's so many people who haven't tried it recently and, you know, are, are just getting introduced to it. So that's the, that's the fun thing for us. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, if we don't see you soon, we'll definitely see you in Palm Beach in January. Thank you both yeah. for having us. Really appreciate all the coverage you guys give to the industry and the way you do it. Super helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, that's great. Look forward to seeing you guys. And uh, you know what? I, I'm uh, I'm going to go get me a cider. This afternoon. Uh, you yeah. guys have inspired me. I might have two or three. Love it. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Y'all take care. Thanks, Cheers, man. Bye.